Hi, everyone. Okay, one person. Let's try again. Hi, everyone. Okay. Good to see you guys, good to hear you guys. I hope you guys are doing well. Today, we're going to be looking at Book of Luke. Uh, Luke chapter 11, verses uh, 1 through 13. As you turn there, let me just remind us of the short series that we are doing. Uh, if you go to maybe uh, go forward in your slides, uh, we've been going through this short series where we expound on the three pillars of our church, the vision of CLC. And uh, the three pillars were the vertical community and the horizontal community and the missional community. And the past three weeks, we looked at each one to uh, understand better what these things mean for our church and like, what is our church, so to speak. Uh, but when we studied on a vertical community the first week, we looked at more of the word uh, as opposed to prayer. So today, uh, we're going to finish out the series by talking about prayer. And that's what we're going to be <clears throat> looking at. Uh, in Luke chapter 11. So let me read it for us. I'll pray and then we'll go into our time together. Again, Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 13. It says, <clears throat> Now Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, Teach us how to pray. Teach us to pray. As John taught his disciples. And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. And he said to, he said to them, <clears throat> Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, Though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his uh, impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you? If his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if, if he asks for an egg, will he give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? That is God's word. Let's bow our heads together and uh, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come before you 
just wanting to get fed by your very word. And we know that you are here. You love us. You know each one of our stories in this room, as well as those who are joining us uh, through the live stream. So I pray that you would uh, awaken our hearts right now to your word and help us to uh, hear your voice through this time so that our hearts may be changed and grow. But not just individuals, God, but as a church, help us to grow in this specific realm of prayer. Help us to be a praying church, a church that pleases you in this regard, God. But thank you for this time. We anticipate uh, this time of uh, your uh, provision for us. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> okay, we'll be looking at uh, this passage, talking about prayer. The, the title of this sermon is Lord, Teach Us to Pray. And three points, as usual, I'll uh, lay it out for you uh, so you can follow along. Uh, the first point is what of our prayer, second, how of our prayer, and third, why of our prayer. First point, what of our prayer, the content of our prayer. First one, Luke says, Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. The key words there are disciples and pray, meaning that prayer is a core part of disciples of Jesus. That those who are identifying themselves as followers of Christ, a prayer should be a significant part of their daily walk. So now, in response to the, their request to Jesus to teach, us, teach them how to pray, uh, Jesus is going to tell them, instruct them how to pray. So verse 2, he says, And Jesus said to them, when you, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. So that the first part of uh, the prayer that Jesus is teaching his disciples is this. It starts from who God is. So Jesus identifies who God is the one that the prayer is to be directed to. And there, the first word is, God is our Father. If you go to Galatians 4, uh, 4, 4 through 6, it says, When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into, his, into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. You know, the Bible says that because of our sins, humans, us humans, all of us are God's enemies uh, who need reconciliation with God. We looked at that last week. And so Jesus came, uh, took our place on the cross, paying for our sins. And the Bible says those who trust in His name have delivered all their sins to Jesus on the cross, and in turn, they have gained the status, the very status of Jesus, namely, His Sonship. That 
we're no longer in Jesus uh, enemies of God, but we are noble sons and daughters of God. And what that means is we have very intimate relationship in which we call God our Father. And like we see in the Galatians passage we just looked at, the word Father in Aramaic, which is a language that Jesus spoke uh, in the first century, uh, the Father in Aramaic is Abba. And what's interesting is that in Korean, I'm Korean, and in Korean, the daddy is Abba. And, and my two-year-old son, Seth, you know, he always goes, Abba! And then he runs to me, and then, you know, I, I give him a big hug, and I give him a lot of kisses. That's kind of like our routine every hour. Um, that's what we do at home when we are bored, and my wife is more creative than me, so she does more fun things like drawing and stuff, but for me, that's all I do with them. Um, but you see, this is a picture, very close picture of the relationship between us and God in Christ. That there is now intimacy, so close that you could even say God is kissing you, so to speak. That intimacy is the real situation between us and God in Christ. But if we just stop there, we might misunderstand the relationship, thinking that we can just mistreat God. It's like, oh, God loves me anyway, that there's no need for respect. So I believe Jesus continues on to clarify that a little bit. Uh, the next line, he says, hallowed be your name. The word hallowed means to keep something or someone as holy, distinguished, and praiseworthy. And when it says your name, God's name, uh, means his unique quality and character, just as our names are unique to each one of us, right? Aiden or whoever of you. Uh, so the whole phrase means that our prayers are to uh, elevate who God is as the creator king who is set apart, enthroned above, who is worthy of our praise. And in the same vein, the next phrase, your kingdom come, means that you know, we declare that God is the king, not us. We act like kings and queens of our own kingdoms, but God is the king, and his kingdom is one that truly matters. So God and his kingdom, God, the set-apart one, we establish him as the ultimate transcendent God, and yet so very intimate. Mystery for sure, but that's who God is to us. And with that known to us, now we can go into further prayer. Here's what I mean, verse 3 and 4. It says, Give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation. Meaning that we can now bring all of our needs to God because God is powerful. He's able to answer our prayers. So there our daily bread, of course, refers to food, literally. We can point to any kinds of physical and material needs that we have daily. And we can also bring our spiritual needs too. That's, that's what it means by, you know, forgive us. Meaning sin separates us from God. 
that there's brokenness in our relationship with God if there's sin. So as God forgives us, there's a restoration and reconciliation in that relationship so we can be intimate again with God. And then there's also protection spiritually to lead us down temptation. God, please do not let the sin sins of my life overtake me, protect me spiritually. Keep me healthy spiritually. So all in all, what that is saying is that we can depend on God for all of our needs, physical, spiritual, anything. So again, in this model prayer, Jesus is teaching us how to identify God and ourselves. He is the almighty creator who is able to answer all of our prayers. And we are, to be really humble, to be really honest, we are helpless creatures who cannot survive any second without God's provision and guidance. And if you think about it, in this world, we're living in a world that gives us illusion of control, doesn't it? It gives us illusion that we, we are able to have a control of our lives. You know, apps and you know, we just look it up on our phone and different websites. So we plan things out thinking that our, our world and our lives are in the palm of our hands. But that's illusion because there are trillions, trillions of factors in our lives that can change our lives, you know, even destroy our lives at times or elevate our lives. It's very unpredictable. We do not have control over that. Only God has control over our lives who can uh, meet our needs. That's what I'm trying to say here. Uh, my wife and I, Deb and I, uh, you know, we were dating for a while before we got married uh, seven years ago. And uh, when we were dating, when we were dating, she lived uh, in the close to downtown Chicago because uh, her work was uh, in the downtown. And uh, the apartment that she lived in, she had a free parking. I, I use the air quotes there because uh, the, the parking was shared with the public zoo. So what that means is whenever I go down there to see her, I have to fight with all these soccer moms and you know all these tourists. So I would literally spend like an hour or two uh, at times at worst to find a parking spot. And this one time, uh, Deb's dad or Deb's parents came from Maryland, uh, where she's originally from. And, uh, and so I, I told them to go upstairs and, you know, rest. And I was trying to find a parking spot. But again, I spent an hour. So Deb's dad came down to rescue me. She's, he's like, hey, I'll take care of it. So I was like, ah, you know, I try, you know, I don't, I don't know how long you're going to spend, uh, next few hours or so, but okay, good luck. So I went upstairs, and then five minutes later, he comes back saying, Aiden, I found a parking spot. And guess what? I prayed, and God gave me the parking spot. And I was like, so I was kind of smiling and trying to be respectful. I was like, ah, yeah, good, that's good, you know, good job. But then part of me, I was like, ah, you know, you're just, you're just lucky, you know, like, come on, you know, you're just lucky. But then I think I, I kept thinking about it, um, you know, like days following, years following, even now. Um, I realized that the, that the reality was he prayed. I didn't. He 
brought his needs to God. I didn't. I was trying so hard to use my whatever ability I had to find a parking spot, finding all these soccer moms or whatever, all these crazy vans. Nothing worked. And when he says he prayed, I scoffed at him. That was so wrong. And I, that's why I respect her family so much. They prayed, pray about every single thing, little things like that. And what that is saying is, we're so used to rely on our own abilities. So we're not used to praying about you know, small things like that. We're conditioned, we've been even brainwashed to not pray, rely on our own devices, meaning self-sufficiency and pride are number one enemies of prayer. Unless we acknowledge that every single aspect of our lives is dependent on God, we will never pray. So that's what Jesus is saying, that the content of prayer, what of our prayer is acknowledging who God is and who we are as his creatures. Second point, the how of our prayer. Uh, verses 5 and 6. So now Jesus is going to tell us how, like what, what kind of attitude we should have when we pray. Verses 5 and 6, it says, And he said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, let me three loaves. For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. Uh, to understand, to appreciate this parable, this is a you know, parable story that Jesus is trying to use to illustrate his point. Uh, we got to understand the cultural context a little better here. First century Palestine context. So at that time, you know, showing hospitality is very crucial. It's like almost like a life or death type of thing. Because it was a communal society. Everybody relied on one another. And your reputation was everything. Your, your honor and shame was everything to you. So if you are hosting somebody in your home, you're supposed to provide everything for the guest. And if you fail to do that, and if the words get out, you'll be deemed worthless in the community. And you'll be shunned in the community. And I don't think it's that foreign to us either, right? I mean, for many of us, you know, if we have some guests over in our place or, you know, have some events at least in our houses or apartments, and let's say the, the toilet paper is out, or let's say soap is out, and you don't have food to provide for your guests, and they feel discomfort and they even leave before their, you know, uh, uh, the projected date, I mean, you'll feel bad, right? You're the host, but you didn't treat your guests well. And you may even feel shame about that. So you relate to this. You know, although this is first century, 2,000 years ago, but same deal. There is a shame that is involved about not treating your guests well. Uh, so back to the story. As you can see, this host is in dire need. He's in crisis right now. So he has to find food. He doesn't have food right now to offer to his guests. So he gets out of his house and try to find something. And back then, there was no 24-hour cub or any grocery store. So he had to do something. And he resorts to 
travel his neighbor to find a food, uh, to, to find a loaves of bread from his neighbor, and, and probably thinking that receiving shame from his neighbor is probably better than receiving shame from the whole community. So now verse 7, we will see uh, how the neighbor could respond to that request. Luke goes on saying that, and he will answer from within. You know, do not bother me. The neighbor is saying, do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. So Jesus is saying that the reason why the, the neighbor could be responding like this is because it was a major disturbance. This was major, you know, um, uh, trouble that this host might be bringing to the, the neighbor. Like one example here, the door is now shut. Uh, back then, they used the, the crossbar to lock the door. So it could be noisy to, you know, unlock the door. And he could wake up all his families. And also it says they're all in the same bed, meaning back then they used one, you know, bed or mat, floor or mat. So he could be waking up, you know, his families or his children in particular. And when I read it, I was like, I relate to that. Because if you have a, have a child that are, that's uh, younger than two, like, like mine, whenever my son sleeps, that's when I finally gets to re- get to rest or get some stuff done. So I make sure that there's no noise when I put him down and I like get out of the room quietly and lie down perhaps on my bed and like, oh, finally. Um, but then sometimes there's, there's somebody that's ringing a doorbell and I go, no, 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 no. So I get out and then like try to find out like who did it, who, who's trying to wake my son up. So, so I, so I, related to this story, like right there. But anyway, so all in all, just trying to point out that this is a major disturbance. And, and there's a reasonable, uh, the, the, there's a reason why the, the neighbor could ignore the request and just remain on the bed. Because this was a nuisance. He didn't want to do anything about this. But then there's a twist in the story. So follow along with me. Verse 8, it says, I tell you, though he will not get up uh, and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, uh, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. What he's saying is that in this story, the neighbor will get up. Well, not because they're friends, uh, but because it's saying it's because of his impudence. The word impudence means shameless boldness. Uh, So what that means is that the neighbor would get up because he's shocked that this guy is knocking on the door at like midnight when everybody's sleeping. Nobody should be doing that, but this guy has a, the nerve to do that. So he will, you know, open the door and give him what he wants. And let me illustrate this way. I hope that there's no, no one that's in like a sales field or hope, you're, hope none of your uh, family members are in sales field, but... Uh, I do not enjoy the visits from salespeople at my door. And so what I usually do is I tell them straight up, I don't want this. And then they keep talking and then um, I give them a lot of signals like, I don't want this product. 
And then I think usually it takes about two minutes and then they, they go, okay? But then there are times, I don't know if, if any of you experienced this, but there are times that these companies send kids, like, like 10-year-olds or elementary school students. I don't know if any of you did that as a part-time job. Oh, oh, really? Okay. I don't know. Something, something. And uh, so they do that. And I'm like, okay, so I try to do the same thing. Like, um, I don't want this. And then they go, why not? Why would you want this? This is a good product. So they don't get it. So I just keep talking. So I, don't, I try to reason with them. They don't get it. So I actually ended up having to buy their products several times. You see, whenever you encounter people that have no shame, people who don't get it, you cannot convince them otherwise. You have to go with what they're saying. That's usually how it goes. And that's what's happening here. The neighbor is shocked, like, wait, this guy, really, really? Okay, fine, here's what you want. And Jesus is saying, here's a, here's a point. Jesus is saying that God wants this. God wants to be bothered by our sales pitch. God wants to be, wants us to be shameless, standing at his door, knocking, like nothing is wrong with that. God wants it. Because he wants to answer our prayers. <clears throat> um, I became a Christian when I was a senior in high school. And I think from there on, <clears throat> I substantially grew in my faith, especially during my college years. And at that time, uh, just thinking back, my faith was so raw. Like it was so, so tangible, if that makes sense. And I, I, I took the Bible literally about a lot of things. And if you know that the passage is like, if you pray, if you do, do not doubt in your heart that the mountains can be moved when you pray, it'll happen. And guess what? I believe that. Like, I genuinely believe that God answers prayers like that. So this one time, uh, I got into a car accident, it's something small, uh, in a parking lot of a grocery store. And <clears throat> I, I backed up into a, another car. So I was driving my parents' minivan and it got a huge dent and the, the trunk door wouldn't open. And it would have cost us at least a few thousand dollars, right? And I felt bad. I, you know, I was in college. And I was like, man, you know, I feel bad for my parents. You know, they're like working hard and they have to pay for this. So I was like trying to fix it on my own. Nothing worked. And then God moves mountains. So I went into my room. I prayed, God. No, no, I was stronger than that. I was like, God, you have to listen to me. You said I'm your child. You said you can move the mountains if I have faith. I do not doubt right now. You got to answer my prayers. Otherwise, my parents are going to go broke. So I prayed that for like 
yeah, like good time, good amount of time. And then I went back outside to our driveway. Again, trying to doubt. And I put my hand on the trunk door. And I don't know why I made this sound, but I just went like this, like, oh, God, come on, come on, come on. And I flipped over the, the, the lever. And voila, it opened. I'm not picking this up. It opened. It literally opened. I was like literally jumping up and down in our driveway, praising God. And the point is not that you should call me if you, your car breaks down. And I don't have a spiritual like power like that. It's like one-time thing. But what I'm trying to show you is prayer works, especially you have no shame about that. You are so bold because you believe with all your heart that God is God of the universe, that he's real. He walks with us in this room on earth, and he has a power. And God is saying, God honors that kind of prayer. God honors that kind of shamelessness. What would happen if all of us had that kind of shamelessness? We'll change the world. Shamelessness is how we are to pray. Third and last, the why of our prayer. Verse 9 and 10, it says, And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find, and knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives, and the one who seeks, finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. It's a summary of what we just looked at in the previous section, that uh, if you have the shameless prayer, uh, that God will respond, no matter what. God will open the door for you. God will uh, listen and respond. And at at that point, the question from us might be, How can we trust? How can we know that uh, God will not fail to answer our prayers? And in response to that kind of question, Jesus here appeals to God's character as the Father in heaven. So follow with me here. Verse 11 and 12, he says, What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion. Here Jesus is appealing to common sense, appealing to uh, this rhetorical question. The answer is obvious that, I mean, of course, we don't want to be naive. There are bad parents in this world that there are parents who may give their children poison, uh, sadly and tragically. But conventionally, Jesus is saying, conventionally, normally, parents would have such care and compassion for their kids and love for them that they would always give them what's best for them, that they will be willing to give them what is best for their children. And and I I think I shared this before. Before my son Seth was born, I really didn't care about what food I ate, right? I mean, I think all I cared about was that it was salty enough and it's cheap enough. That's really all I cared about. And I thought the, the, the organic food section was only for fancy people, right? Um, but then once Seth was born, 
I started going to that, to that section. I started going to the, the aisle uh, in, in the grocery stores to buy organic foods. And, and I would not eat that. Just, I would just give that to my son. Why? I love my son. I want to give my best, my whole world to my son. And this might be true, obviously, for your parents too, right? I mean, I'm sure no, no parents are perfect. I'm not perfect, but despite all their failures, I'm sure you saw them perhaps working extra hours to give you a better future and education perhaps. And perhaps you saw them wearing not-so-fancy clothes so that you can wear fancy clothes. That's parents' heart. Jesus is saying that's how parents' hearts work. So then verse 13, it says, If you then who are evil, who are not perfect, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? You see the logic there. If earthly imperfect parents do that, the conclusion is God who is perfect in love, knowledge, and care for His children, wouldn't He give the best to His children? What is best for them? That's what He will do as the Heavenly Father. And what's interesting there is that the best thing that God will give to His children is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit stands for God's presence, His guidance, and intimacy in the disciples' life. What that means is that in God's mind, the best gift is our spiritual well-being. If we're healthy spiritually, then that's the best thing in God's mind for us. And if you have that in, in your category, everything makes sense about our prayer. And earlier we saw that God will respond to our asking, seeking, and knocking. Uh, that doesn't necessarily mean that God will always answer our prayers according to what we want. You see that? Meaning, God will give us what is best for us, what we need, but not necessarily what we want because we don't know better than God. God knows better than us. Uh, and also, this means that God may not give you what you asked, but He may even let you go through some times of darkness so that as He fills you up with His Holy Spirit during that time, you can grow in your character, your spiritual health. That's what's priority in God's mind. Again, God knows what is best. He's after our best as our Heavenly Father. Let me talk a little about my mom and, and I'll end with this. Uh, my mom, uh, who's actually turning 60 next week, uh, just, I don't know, crazy. I, heard, I was talking with her a few, few days ago and I was like, you're 60 already? That's crazy. Um, oh, dang, I just publicized it to everybody. Um, but my mom is a really good cook. Um, actually, my parents used to own restaurants, so that kind of makes sense. My mom is really good at cooking. And, and growing up, I, I remember uh, she wasn't always good at cooking or she wasn't really into it. But I think at some point, she realized that people were appreciating her gift of cooking. And she got into more, and you know she, you know, became a chef basically for for the past restaurants. But what I noticed is that uh, she, like, what she loved the most, uh, or what what she uh, liked 
to do the most uh, with her gift, I realized was to serve her family. That she loved cooking for my dad and me and my sister. That she would have this tremendous joy whenever we liked her food. And so whenever you know, I went over to their place, and they moved to uh, Georgia, but when they lived in Chicago, you know, we would you know, go over to Chicago home, and, or they would come here. And whenever we were together, my mom would have this coarse meal. Like, she would start from Korean barbecue and sushi and then even lobster. I'm like, where did you get this money? <laughs> how, did you, how did you prepare this? But she literally had, like, you know, planned out menus for, like, three days long, like, for each meal. And she would have this, like, you know, course of meals, like, over and over so that me, Deb, and, you know, um, Seth wasn't there at the time, but that, that we would enjoy, uh, you know, our time and just enjoy the, you know, the food, you know, with her. And that, that's really her way of showing, you know, love to me at the time. And she'll continue to do that whenever we visit their home. You see, whenever we come to our heavenly parent, God, God does similar things. You know, he showers us all the spiritual blessings. He has coarse meals of spiritual blessings, what is best for us every time we pray. That's the promise from the scripture here. And that, you know, every time we come to him, it's a feast. We have joy upon joy. And that is God's way of pouring out his love for us, his children. And during those times, you know, we may not have you know, great things in the world, in the worldly sense, but we can still have joy because there's party going on. As we, as we pray, when we commune with God, he gives us what's best. And I want you to have that in mind, have that picture in your mind as we pray, as we, as we grow in, your, in our prayers as a church. It's not just individual projects here. Let's think about that. Every time we come before God, God is just so ready to open up a party for us that we will grow, that we will feel his love. And, and when we do that, God wants us, wants us to be shameless in our request. And he wants us to ask him about anything and everything because he wants to bless us. He's our heavenly father. And my hope for us as a church is that we will truly become a praying church where we got to really experience that feast, not just individually, but as a church. How beautiful would that be if we really understand and experience that feast that God has for us, for his children. Let's pray together. Can we spend some time in prayers? I know there was a lot here in this text and I just didn't want to let go of any, any part um, really because it's so rich. Let's start from God's character, who He is. When we feel like orphans, when we feel abandoned by this world, by our mistakes, by our sins, in Christ, God becomes our Father. 
Father who would call our name and we would run to him and we would, he would hug us, give us lots of kisses and he would just shower us with the best things, namely the Holy Spirit. That's God's love and God's love according to this hymn that I love. In fact, we sang it at our wedding. It's like an ocean. His love is like an ocean. If we had a pen and His love is an ocean as an ink, it will not run out. That kind of God with that kind of love is calling us to spend time with Him in prayer and grow to be bold in our request and really experience the power of God and grow to see that it's not about things after all. We may start from asking for things but as we grow we will ask for Him. Man, I want more of Jesus. Man, He loves me like that. There's nobody like in my in my life. I just want Him. You see, this is how we grow in our relationship with God. The Word of God speaks to us and prayer is how we digest the Word, how we live out the relationship. I'll speak no further here. Let's enjoy God together. He loves us. He loves each one of us here. May you experience that as you pray. Let's pray. What an awesome reality that uh, you know, God loves us, uh, who we, as, as we are. Love that does not depend on our performance. He loves us as we are in Christ. Let's pray to that God together. Heavenly Father, uh, you are our Father. Uh, you are our Abba. Uh, though you are transcendent, beyond our imaginations, but you are ever so close. You are holding us with your cosmic hand. We cannot fathom that with our limited minds. But with your Holy Spirit, open our eyes, God. And grow to be humble that we will stop building our kingdoms by acknowledging your kingdom, your kingship, and yet can be bold and shameless because we're your children. And also pray for those of us who might be joining us in this room uh, who are seeking to know who you are. May you visit them with your Holy Spirit. Open their hearts, God. Help them to experience this relationship that is like no other. But may all of us grow in your grace. As a church, help us to grow in prayer 
which equals growing love for you. Help us, God. We need you. We need you. But we are sustained by your love, even when we are failing, even when we are in our high points or low points. Your grace is constant. Thank you for that, God. Help us.